We're going to be wrapping up, or I'm going to be wrapping up our series in Luke for the summer. Uh, we're going to be heading into Genesis, studying the life of Joseph. You are, I will be too, now and then, uh, while we're on sabbatical. You will see us. We will be around, Leslie and I. Why do we study Luke's gospel? To be assured that what we've heard about Jesus is true, so that we're confident in our faith, so that we know who Jesus is. He's God the Son. He's the chosen one. And if that's true, then we need to watch him and learn from him and hear what he says and, and follow his example. So that's why we need to study regularly the life of Christ, why we take time to go through the gospel. Do you know what number this is in the series, by the way? Number 30, if you're, if you're interested, if that's important. <laughs> we still have a ways to go. Why else do we study? To learn who Jesus is so we become better followers. So that we know how to live better and, and, and bring glory to God in what we say and do this time tomorrow and this time on Tuesday and this time on Wednesday and even today later on and all those things. It's no accident then, as we study the Gospel of Luke, we're in Luke chapter 9 today. We're going to be wrapping up uh, Luke chapter, in that chapter today. It's no accident that after Peter's great confession, remember Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And, and what was G uh, Peter's answer? You are the Christ. You're the chosen one. You're, you're the one God promised to send. It's no accident right after Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus in that, that moment of all his heavenly glory, and God the Father spoke and said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. It's no accident that right after the crowds are marveling, remember Jesus cast out a demon that his disciples couldn't after they came down the mountain, and, and we read in Luke, verse 43, that everyone was marveling at what God had done. While they were marveling, Jesus, in that very moment, he turns to his disciples and says this, let these words sink into your ears. That's an interesting saying. Now, I can hear my dad today. He's been gone for a while. But I can hear him saying, it went in one ear and out the other. Jesus is saying, don't let this go in one ear this morning and out the other. Let this sink into your ears. Luke has told us this moment. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. The disciples we read didn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask. As a matter of fact, I believe they thought the kingdom of God was like right around the corner, that it was just about to happen. I mean, all the popularity of Jesus, the crowds are marveling. This must be the time when the kingdom is going to come and we're going to be sitting in the kingdom and all the glory and what a wonderful time. And the answer is not so, not yet. Jesus suffering for sin was his first great work that was about to be accomplished before the glory came. Let this sink into your ears. Glory 
and suffering. Joys and heartaches are a part of following Jesus this side of heaven. So listen carefully. Do you love Jesus? Will you follow him in trusting dependence? That's the question for today. Listen carefully. Betrayal is ahead. Difficult implications for Jesus. He had talked about it a little bit earlier in chapter 9. It just some days, week or two or three, we don't know for sure. Luke verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things. We sung about it. And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. Be killed. And on the third day, be raised. The disciples didn't understand it. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 45 that it was hidden from them. Who was hiding it from them? Was it God? Probably a little bit. Themselves, yeah, because they're human beings and they don't get it. Maybe the devil was a part of the combination. We don't know. But here's what we do know for sure, that if God doesn't open our ears and our eyes, we're never going to get it. So we need his grace, his goodness to do that. And, and he's giving you that opportunity today to hear, to see his greatness and to know his truth. What is Jesus telling them and what he's saying to us? Listen to these words. Let it sink into your ears. The Son of Man has got to suffer. Well, it has implications for Jesus and it has implications for you if you declare today that you're a believer in Christ, that you're a follower of his. Listen to what John says. He recorded what Jesus said in the upper room. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Now is not the time for your best life ever. Is that sinking in, if it hasn't already? You will never find true fulfillment and joy in this world, this cursed world. Following Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, Joby Martin said this, is not all cupcakes and cotton candy. I wish it was. How about you? Jesus keeps talking about hardships. And his disciples, and, and the truth became clear after the resurrection. <laughs> yeah, the resurrection changed everything. And we're living after the resurrection. So seek to understand the cost of following Jesus in this world. Understand that, because you've seen the resurrection. So you've seen the suffering, and you know there's resurrection coming. So let that truth sink into our ears this morning and understand that we can hang in there, because there are joys, too, when you follow Jesus, when you do the Father's will. 
Daryl Bach says, like the disciples, Jesus is taking us on a journey with him on a path marked unknown. The older I get, the less I like unknown. I like my routines. We, we sang about it, by the way, already. God knows what's ahead for you. Will you trust him enough to follow him? There's joy in the journey of doing Jesus' work for God's kingdom and glory. To see yourself changed. Don't forget how God's been changing you. And to see others changed and, and given hope when their lives were, were seemingly hopeless. There's joy in that, but there's also suffering. And sometimes it's literally physical suffering. Sometimes we suffer because of dumb things we do, stupid things we say. Is stupid a bad word to use? No, I, I think it's appropriate. The foolish things we say and do, judgmental and stuff, and we bring trouble on ourselves, but often there's literal physical suffering going on right now around the world because you follow Christ, because you're seeking to do God's will. But more often than not, there's heartache. <laughs> Heartache suffering because you're isolated or you're misunderstood or you're not liked. There's even strife among God's people. We battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's suffering, Jesus knows. Dying to self and following God to have his own way, allowing God to have his own way in, in my life, in our lives, that's a really hard path. Surrendering your will to somebody else's. Do you like to surrender your will to other people? No. And yet God's saying, do you trust me? Do you think I'm a good father? Look at my son. He suffered and yet he's alive and he's glorified. That is where I'm taking you. Dying to self and sacrificing for others who misunderstand you or don't like you or treat you poorly is not an easy way to live. <laughs> Just ask Jesus. Just observe how he handled it. But in the end, when we see Jesus face to face in the resurrection, it's all going to make sense and be good. But until that day, I got to live by faith. We got to live by faith. You have to live by faith. You don't see it, but you got to believe it's true. If you're a follower of Christ, if he's really the chosen one, then you know it's true. Let it sink in. When you have to make those hard decisions about trusting God and obeying or going your own way. Tomorrow. Later on today. Ten years from now. Listen carefully. <laughs> the disciples weren't getting it. How do we know? Because of the next episode. Listen carefully. Betrayal and suffering is ahead. But secondly, listen carefully about kingdom great greatness. So Jesus <laughs> is talking about suffering and doing his father's will. The disciples weren't getting it. And what are they talking about? <laughs> well, let's read the next, uh, the next little section. You know what it is. They were arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. An argument arose among them at which, uh, which, which of them was the greatest. So Jesus pulls in a child 
brings them next to him like, here's my best buddy. And you got to become like him, this child, if you want to be great. You know, the argument arose among them about who's the greatest, and that whole idea of who's the greatest doesn't even fit in the kingdom, in the kingdom value system. Who's the greatest? It's God. <laughs> and Christ, who makes us great because of who he is. And by thinking about it and arguing about this question, you know what the disciples were like? I picture uh, kids in the playground. I'm the boss because I'm seven years old. No, I'm the boss because I'm seven and a half. No, I'm the boss because my mom's a doctor. No, I'm the boss because my dad owns his own business and he drives a fancier car. You've never had those kind of arguments in the playground. So the disciples are arguing about kingdom seating places while Jesus is telling him that his mission is to come and rescue and to raise everyone up to glory by having faith in him, that he'll pay for us. If you follow me, Jesus is saying, you're going to have to follow a similar trail that I'm walking on. Can you believe the 12 disciples are arguing about who's the greatest? <laughs> but we argue about who has a better idea or who's in charge. We're more like children on the playground than we want to admit. We grown-ups. We're not listening to Jesus very well. Listen carefully. There are no unimportant people who are part of God's kingdom. The least are the greatest. Everyone's important to God, made holy and useful through Christ when we turn to him in belief. By highlighting the child, Jesus is raising up everyone's stature. Who isn't made in God's image? Which person is more worthy of God's grace than the other? Some people have this weird notion that, like, pastors are somehow more worthy of God's grace. Don't ever think that. We just need more grace because we're such lousy people like the rest of us. True greatness means we serve the lowliest the least likely to succeed, and we invite them to join the glories of God's kingdom. In Luke 10, just one chapter ahead, the, the disciples were sent out, the 70, and they came back and said, Lord, the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, don't rejoice in the power that you have. You know, they were feeling it. Hey, we're casting out demons. He said, just rejoice that your name's written in heaven's books. That you've been a part to share in God's grace. Rejoice in God's grace. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 20 about laborers. You know, some guys got hired for a fair day's wage. They worked all day. Others got hired and only worked one hour. And the, and the owner did what? He paid them all the same amount of money. And, of course, that breaks all our fairness rules and union rules, et cetera. It's like, that's not fair. I worked hard all day, and they only worked an hour, and they got paid the same amount. The least 
are the greatest too. Just rejoice in God's grace. None of us deserve it. The thief on the cross, what? He gains paradise and he only believed for a smidge. I've had to trust God my whole life. Just rejoice in God's grace. The body of Christ functioning like a healthy body. Which part's more important? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know the answer. Every part's important. One's not more important than the other. Some of them are more showy, but they're not more important. Listen carefully. The crowds are in awe of me, but they're going to hate and turn away from me. And most were going to treat you the same way. Consider carefully the cost if you're going to follow me. Listen carefully. Who's the greatest in God's eyes? The least are the greatest. Everyone who believes and loves God is equally loved by God. And those who serve the lowly and invite them into God's kingdom, they are the greatest. Third, listen carefully about ministry partners and mercy. Look at verse 49. John answered, see, right after this event, who's the greatest? John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. No rivalry allowed. Let this sink into your ears. No rivalry allowed. There's no neutrality in the war against evil. You're either with evil or you're against evil. There weren't any doctrinal issues here. The guy was casting out demons, whoever this guy was, in Jesus' name. He was on Jesus' side. There's no rivalry here. He's casting out demons in Jesus' name for the glory of God. The issue for John was not one of doctrinal issues, but what? He's not a part of us. He goes to that other church and they don't do everything very well over there he's not walking with us he's on a different team we'll straighten him out Jesus would have nothing to do with petty rivalry it's funny isn't it how when when you have a good and then you start thinking that you have it all together, like the disciples had it all together. And there was a lot more challenges to come when the Gentiles started believing and entering the church, and they were going to have to wrestle with all kinds of issues. Like, these people don't think like, like we good Jewish people think, and yet Jesus loves them, and, and, and the church is growing over there, and they're not practicing the law like we do, and what's going on? What's your mind and heart? Don't be envious of other people or their congregation's success. Why can't we be like them? Because God doesn't want us to be exactly like them. You know, there are some very important common ground. Believing the truth about God the Father and God the Son and what Jesus did for our salvation and the Holy Spirit coming and empowering us, our salvation, growing in holiness and obedience to Christ and honoring others above ourselves. All those are very important common ground things that we need. 
But understand, we don't have to all be together the same. We have a part, they have a part. Do your part and do it well and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not take ourselves too seriously. What will they do without Grace Chapel? What will they do without me? Blessed reductions are rare. Do you know what I mean by that? Oh, they left us. We really didn't need them. How do you know that? The workers are few. We need allies. Be glad someone is battling against evil spirits like you are, trying to walk the line and follow Christ like you are. Allies, helping one another follow Christ. I have a, a, a reference listed, Numbers chapter 11. I won't go into that story, but Moses and 70 elders, well, I'll tell it real quick. Moses and the elders went out. The Holy Spirit came on them, and all 70 plus Moses were prophesying. But there were a couple guys who stayed in the camp. They didn't go out to the tent of the meeting, and someone tattletailed on them and said, they're speaking. The Holy Spirit came on them, too. you got to stop them, Moses. And Moses, I wish everybody had the Spirit. I wish everyone got it the same way and were prophesying. So don't be envious. Be glad that you have an ally working alongside you for God's glory. Listen carefully about rivalries, about partnership in ministry. Listen carefully about mercy in ministry. Look at verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was going there to die on the cross, to, to buy our salvation by his death on the cross in our place. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. You see, Samaritans, if a Jew was going to Jerusalem, they, would, they didn't like that idea because there was this animosity between them. So they would not host Jesus and his disciples on this trip to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? But he turned to them and rebuked them. Surely, to reject Jesus, God's son, the chosen one, deserves vengeance. Eradication. Get rid of them. Call down fire like Elijah did. If you don't know the story, three captains and 50 soldiers were sent to get Elijah, and he called down fire. God sent fire and consumed them. Let's do that. People who don't believe in God and his prophet and his chosen one. But Jesus rebukes his disciples. Why? Just think it through. What were the Samaritans doing that the Jews hadn't done? Why didn't they want to call fire down on Nazareth? Why didn't they want to call fire down on Bethesda and Chorazin and, and Jerusalem, for that matter? Because the Jews were so much better loving and accepting Jesus than the Samaritans? Think about mercy. <laughs> 
What's Jesus' mission? Luke chapter 4. To deliver us. Quoting from Isaiah 61, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that no one should perish but have everlasting life. He didn't send his Son to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's Jesus' mission. Jesus is going to come back, and there's going to be a terrible judgment. But in his time and in his way, not yours, James and John. Now is the time to tell the gospel. Now is the time to point people and to warn them and tell them to turn away from their sins and to turn toward Christ and find life. Has anyone ever asked you, if God was real, why doesn't he do away with evil? If God is really there, why doesn't he just stop it? You've asked that question, haven't you? Well, if God was to do away with evil, what would he have to do? Who would be left standing? People you love would be taken away if they weren't under the blood of Christ. What would happen if God did that? Well, think Noah's flood. Is that what you want the world to look like? Think Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that what you want Havertown to look like? If God were to do away with evil, all evil, who would be left standing if they weren't under God's grace and his love through the forgiveness of Christ? Why doesn't God send fire down on those unbelieving Samaritans and Jews? Because he loves us and he's patient. And Peter tells us God's not slow in keeping his promise. He's going to judge, but he's patient toward the world, so that wishing that no one would perish, but that everyone would have life. So understand, let this sink into years. Understand partnership and ministry, and don't get all envious. Understand God's mercy. What does God require of us? Micah 6, chapter 6, verse 8. To do justice. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with God. The disciples were having problems with that. So do we. Listen carefully. Following Jesus is no casual Affair. We didn't read it. Let me quickly read it. Verse 57. Would you follow along? Luke 9, verse 57. As they were going, see, they're going along the road. They're headed toward Jerusalem. They're headed toward Jesus going to the cross. Someone said to him, said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Listen carefully. Betrayal and hard times are coming. 
Kingdom greatness starts with humility. Listen carefully. Your partners in ministry, don't be a lone ranger. Listen carefully. Now's the time for us to preach repentance and belief in Christ, to be merciful. Listen carefully. Following Jesus is no casual affair. Know the cost. It's no accident that Jesus says these words in the context of rejection and suffering. There's a theme in these last verses. Do you know what it is? The word is follow. Three times, follow me. I will follow you. Three different cases. Case number one, a confident statement. I will follow you wherever you go. Well, where's Jesus going? He's not going on vacation. He's going to the cross. He's going to be rejected and suffered and beaten and separated from God the Father and pour out all the wrath of God is going to be poured out on him. So you'll follow me wherever I go? Well, come on, pack your bags and get ready to carry a cross, to suffer. I don't have a home. So I think this man was expecting that Jesus' popularity in some regards was climbing so it's like, wow, I, I want to hitch my wagon to this one because we're going to be comfortable, we're going to be famous, we're going to be living high. Prestige and fortune and comfort were not a given when we follow Jesus. It's uncertain existence. It's a call to faithfulness and trusting God. I was watching the birds this morning as I was drinking my coffee. I was watching the bees and our flowers. I was watching, was looking at the blue sky. And Havertown actually looked pretty pretty this morning. It was quiet. And I just thought about his creation and creatures and all the glories of it. And would I trust him to take care of me the way he takes care of the birds and the flowers? Case number two, a reasonable request. Follow me, Jesus said, and the man answered, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. I want you to know that would, according to experts, that would strike a Jewish ear as very wrong because family's important. My dad's important. My mom's important. My children are important. Family's important, important absolutely. But what was right in an old era doesn't exactly fit with Jesus' new era. Commitment to God and Christ and the kingdom wins over family. More important than caring for the dead is preaching the gospel so others can have life. There's cost. It doesn't mean ignoring family, but it does mean surrendering to Christ in all things. Case number three, allow me to say goodbye. Seems like a reasonable request. I will follow you, Lord, but let me first. And Jesus said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom of God. That sounds really harsh. What are you thinking right now about that? <laughs> What's Jesus' point? That you can't say goodbye to people you love and care about? No, that's not his point. His point is, the plow parable is this. Don't cling so tightly to things on earth that you miss heaven and God's will for your life. That's what he's saying to me and to you. 
Remember the soil parable? Remember the seeds that fell on the rocky soil? Like they popped up fast, but then they withered when persecution or trouble came? Don't be one of those seeds. The seeds among the thorns got choked out by the cares of the world. Don't be one of those seeds. Let the seed, the word of God, get into your heart and be fruitful. Jesus is saying this to this man. You're not ready for my transforming salvation if you keep looking back at your old life and wishing you could go back to it. You got to trust me. Jesus is saying to him and us, will you follow me? Will you turn your back on your old life? Trust me and follow, you. follow me. Keep your eye on Christ. It's later than I hoped it would be. Who looked back with dire consequences? Do you know any Bible stories? Somebody that we just know as Lot's wife looked back. She clung to the world and she lost and died with, with Sodom and Gomorrah, was consumed in destruction. How about the Israelites in the wilderness? They rebelled against Moses, who is a picture of Christ, and they rejected his leadership. He was God's appointed one at that moment, and they turned their backs. They wanted to go back to Egypt, and they never made it to the promised land. That's a picture of heaven. They never made it to the life that God promised them because they rejected God and did not trust God. A disciple of Christ cannot hold on to the old life and gain eternal life. Count the cost. You can't serve two masters. Following Jesus is described as a life of a soldier, the life of a farmer, a life of an athlete. It's a full-time calling, and it's not always fun. It's not always cupcakes and cotton candy. Do you know anything about plowing? You got to put your eye when you're plowing, turning the soil over on a steady, still object. Otherwise, your furrows are going to be all over the place. There's going to be places that the soil's not turned over. A farmer sent his son out to plow the field. He said, son, this is your first day. This is a great time. He gets on the tractor. He's going to plow the field. And he said, son, just pick an object and keep your eye on that object so you plow a straight line. So he said, I'll do that, dad. So his dad came back later after a couple hours of plowing, and, and there was just, it was all over the place. And he said, son, I thought I told you to put your eye on, a, on one object. And he said, I did. I was watching that cow as she was moving. God's word tells us to fix our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Philippians chapter 3, it, it, it's like it's telling us God's word repeats it again and again. How do you get life? We receive righteousness by believing in Christ, found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And when we believe, verse 10 tells us, we share in his suffering and his resurrection. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in his suffering so that I may gain the resurrection. It's, there's a cost to it. And then verses 12 and 14 to the point, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What's ahead? Not that I've obtained it or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make, make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You are his child. 
Keep your eye on him because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, the old life, and straining to what's ahead. God's best, better eternity. The prize of glory with the resurrected Christ. So Jesus is demanding that his disciples be changed. There's this ever-present tension in your life if you are a follower of Christ. There's this call to follow Jesus, and there's this voice in our heads, our sin nature, they're saying, no, go our own way. And if you're a follower of Christ, just know you're never going to be relieved of that tension. It's always going to be there. You are always going to feel like a foreigner in this land. Never lose sight of that. Following Jesus means going to Jerusalem, carrying a cross. But Jesus didn't stay in Jerusalem, and neither do we. We get to meet him in a new Jerusalem, to be with him forever. Let's pray. Lord, open our ears so we listen, so that your truth sinks in, so that we are changed. Help us to overcome our fears of not trusting you or going our own way and thinking we know better. Lord Jesus, you're the only one who can save us from our sins and can make us new creations through your grace and goodness. So change us. Help us to put our hand to the plow and never look back, but only at you. Change us so that the world can see your glory. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your son's name for your great glory, Lord. Amen.